Hey, good morning, Stefan. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. Morning. Morning, Matt. There's Matt. Now he's on. Hey, hey, Mr. Robinson. Hey, good morning. So I texted you when you texted me. I said, yeah, I'm sitting down on my computer. My computer restarted uh, and started installing updates. <laughs> so, installing updates. Yeah. So I, I, I'm on my iPad. Sorry about taking a few extra minutes. No, no. Hey, I worry about praying to this machine. This whole, Bible, <laughs> this whole studying the Bible, looking at this machine makes me nervous. Oh, look at Brad. He's got the new baby. I'm trying to do this. We'll see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> Might need to turn the, the now, I'm going to be able to share Ray, right? Oh, I let me make you a host, Mike. Hold on. All right. You you're in control, Mike. Awesome. That's a scary thought. All right. All right. Why don't we get started here so we can get moving. Brad, good to see you. Congratulations. Okay, you're officially outnumbered. Yes, I am. Thank you. It's been a week, but everything's going very good. We're very thankful. So God's been good. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, this week, um, you know, I hope everybody is doing this, but what I want to do is try to you know, add to the quiver here, right, Brad? I want to keep getting more people jumping in because I think leaders learn from each other. And, you know, I think it's it's really important that we we go through as a, as a group and bring new people in. So just a couple of people that jumped in different. Um, you know, Joe, you're sitting on my screen, the bald guy that jumped in, okay, that's now smiling. Joe is, is a, a guy that used to coach with me. He's an assistant principal in our district. Um, Ryan, of course, sitting down there with his earbuds in. Okay, we all know Ryan. He's, he's at church with us. I tried to get his cousin Isaac to jump in too. So we'll see which one in their family uh, gets up and follows through on what they say they're going to do, right? He's still sleeping. I'll bet you a million bucks he's still sleeping. But he's going to come <laughs> in and try and charm us all to death. Okay. Um, everybody else looks like a returning customer. I got Stefan here too, coming in from the West Coast, it looks like. So we're good. <laughs> Okay, so here's what here's the goal of this. Um, we're really just going through Nehemiah, um, almost chapter by chapter, um, and we want to really take a, a deep dive on, and a slow moving, you know, kind of train through this this whole study, um, and, and just be really thoughtful about um, you, you know this character Nehemiah from the Bible and and take application and crosswalk experiences that occurred historically to you know. To, to what we're doing in our own lives. 
we got a lot of people in leadership roles um, in different areas, and I think it's really cool. So at the end of this, you know, we'll kind of be thoughtful about that as well. Um, so the goal for some of you people jumping in new is simply to preview what we're going to do um, in the in the Bible text. So you should have a Bible alongside of you, um, and I encourage you to have some other type of commentary. So I introduced a few uh, commentaries you can use. Um, but obviously, it's all over the web. You can watch YouTube videos. You can jump into anything. Try to get yourself prepared for the scripture that we're going to go through and have some dialogue about. Okay? Uh, I'm not a teacher. I'm a facilitator. So if you're going to wake up at 630 and stare at me, okay, it's going to get real uncomfortable. So I, I would really love to hear your feedback. Um, I have grown so much in, in three weeks from this group. I'm amazed how God always puts a group of people together. It just fascinates me because I might want a certain group together and aspire to have individuals uh, in a certain location, but God always puts a different group in front of me and, and, and just uh, blesses me beyond what I can understand. So if I can open in prayer, I'm going to do that, and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're, we're thankful. I, I look at Brad holding his little baby, and, and, and Lord, we take a pause and, and um, just think about uh, children and, and that privilege we have to be parents. And uh, Brad's got uh, a lot of experiences ahead of him with him and his wife, with his child. And um, we want to be thoughtful of that right now and just, and, and just give you praise for uh, the birth. And, and hopefully he's taking care of his wife, that she's recovering and um, that the family's settling, Lord. And we just give you praise for that. Lord, lead and guide us this morning in our study of Nehemiah. Uh, help us to use uh, what you've said and what you've done um, so that we can just just glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So again, intentional leadership is just what we're getting into. Um, just want to start off a little bit by, um, you know, kind of reviewing what, what has taken place. Um, you know, last, we, we got into the first chapter uh, we really spent a lot of time just simply, um, you know, digging into, you know, kind of the opening, laying the foundation. We went through a week of just preview. Um, so here we are. We're, we're, you know, we're kind of getting to the meat of this a little bit. But key points from last week, okay? Um, again, I'm fascinated in the, in the first chapter of Nehemiah by that fourth verse, okay? And, we, uh, you know, what we're... What, I think we should continually go through that, that, that uh, fourth verse in chapter one over and over and over again, because this is an initial response to a problem, okay? Um, we went through this, you know, as leaders, we need to be emotionally connected, okay? So the first thing Nehemiah did, obviously, when he got into this was he wept, okay? And, and I think that, uh, you know, that that obviously is something that we need to take in and, and, and just understand. Um, are our eyes open to what's around us or are we lukewarm? Okay. The next thing we saw last week, and I call it the nine twelve mo moment, you know, uh, there, there's, there's 12 evidences in, in the 13 chapters of Nehemiah where he specifically prayed um, for what was going on. And in this case, uh, you know, th this started out with, him going and fasting and praying. This was this was a significant, uh, you know, response to a problem. You know, and again, he cried, he wept, but then he fasted and he prayed. So that's how how this 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 whole uh, experience started. 
Um, we also came out and, and looked at, you know, in, in the in the fifth verse of, of chapter one, where, you know, leaders need to approach God with reverence, but I also think we need to approach others with reverence. Okay, I, I think everything begins with respect. Um, and in our prayers, we looked at how do we approach the Lord in prayer. And I think that we, you know, one, one aspect to this is certainly prayer is personal. Okay. And I, I would never take it upon myself to say, this is how you should do it. Here's the recipe. Um, but in this book, what we're seeing when Nehemiah prayed is um, he approached the Lord in, in, in complete reverence, um, just making sure we understand who we're speaking to. And I think there's a crosswalk to that with people. You know, when we don't approach people with reverence, um, you, you know, I think things can go south pretty quick. So uh, another takeaway, of course. And then finally, the last thing that we, we got into, you know, and, and, and again, in my mind, I'm reviewing this a little bit and I'm thinking, you know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, different pronouns nowadays and how we use pronouns. Okay. But think about the pronouns that Nehemiah used. Okay, uh, he was uh, a selfless man. So he was 900 miles away, okay, um, from, you know, the, the destruction in Jerusalem, but yet he was taking responsibility for what had taken place. So he was owning the sins of the people uh, that, that he was uh, supporting, the people that he was praying for, the people who had his birth, he had a burden for um, so I think at the end of the day, you know, when you have leaders that point fingers um, and don't take responsibility, even when it's not their own, um, I, I think that can be problematic. So that, that's another piece I think we're, we're takeaways. Just real quick, anybody last week, anything stick with them all week that you felt like you, 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 you kind of thought about a little bit more than, than other from, uh, that, we, that we went into? All right. Makes me feel good. You're either sleeping or last week was terrible. Okay. So let's get into this. Okay. Again, last week, what I asked you to do was obviously to read through Nehemiah 2. Okay. Um, one thing I want you to really think about as we go through this entire study is what's a reoccurring thought that you have? You know, um, I love the idea of people who can't sleep at night. I love the, the idea of people who have to get up in the morning. Now, I get up in the morning because I can go to the bathroom about 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm a middle-aged man, okay? But I also get up. Um, sometimes you sit up wide awake because there's a burden on your heart. Um, you know, some people call that stress. Some people call that, you know, you, you need to get away from your job. Um, I, I don't believe that personally. I think that's a burden the Lord's given you that you've got to act on. You know, and I think that we need to take stress and we need to spin a positive on it. Um, so what I really want you to understand or, or to identify is what is your burden? I asked you to come up with your why, obviously. Um, you know, when someone asks, asks you, what, what can I be praying for you? Okay. And as a believer, we don't have a response. Okay. That bothers me personally. I know, you know, like when someone says that of me, um, I believe we need to have a response as a believer. You know, what, what is your burden? What is your reoccurring thought? So hopefully you come up with that um, and, and you started to marinate that a little bit. I think that does change. You know, I think God puts different experiences in front of you, but I think ultimately 
um, you should really understand your calling. You know, God's put you in a place, um, no matter what you're doing vocationally, but, but he always identifies a reoccurring thought or a burden. You know, and then also think about your sphere of influence, your, your spiritual mile markers, you know, uh, what, what skills you have and where has God placed you so that you can grow, you know, grow, grow his, his kingdom. A um, couple of thoughts from last week. Anybody consider that, that burden or, or that reoccurring thought in, in your own lives or where God's got you right now? Is there anyone, anyone kind of articulate that? Um, for me, as I've been thinking about this and, you know, something that has consumed me is my students' relationships with each other. I want them to be face-to-face and solid and, you know, even, you know, for some of them, you know, lifetime lasting, meaningful, um, beneficial, encouraging because I feel like a lot of times re- relationships in high school aren't that way and everyone's buried in their phones and everyone's doing their own thing. And I don't know, it's just, so I'm, I'm really trying to come up with some initiatives to, to make that happen where it's, they interact with each other on a more personal and face-to-face level so that those relationships deepen and they see the value of, um, godly friendships and, and the encouragement and the benefit that they have. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. I've been able to see how um, my work situation where I've been with the company for about 20 years and we're in a transition leadership. We brought in a new CEO and one of my roles now is as a cupbearer to assist uh, the new leader and try to transition the old leader out as she retires. Um, but also seeing how there was a lack of investment in leadership skills and personnel care. Um, so I kind of see a little bit of the vision of Nehemiah almost coming, <laughs> coming to fruition in my life where we're we're reimagining what our company can look like um, with a fresh breath of air from our new leader, basically saying, I'm going to invest in my people, trying to encourage uh, interactions. And, you know, as a consultant, I'm an environmental consultant. Um, I like people. I, I enjoy working with my clients. And I, I, I guess my my new vision is realizing that, you know, I'm probably going to be in a role where I'm investing in, in my own employees and sort of building them up as well. So it's a little bit of a, a shift in thought, you know, where I'm, I'm not just working for my clients. I'm building up my um, and interacting with my coworkers. So uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a tweak in thought, but I like how it, really overlaps with Nehemiah and his story. Thanks, Stephen. So just moving on again, I, um, what I would say is it's, it's very ironic. You know, we all aspire to be the king, but are we willing to be the cupbearer? You know, and I think, remember, we can also poison the king and kill him as a cupbearer. You know, so we got to be careful with, with our, you know, our sinful desires, I think, as, as we serve in that role for sure. So, 
uh, first quiz. And I, you know, again, I really like this book. If, if you're in leadership, uh, Visioneering is probably one of the best reads I've ever had. I've read it three or four times. Um, and Andy Stanley asked this question, you know, um, simply looking at this, you know, talking about how do you respond to a challenge? Okay, we all have challenges where we're at, you know, so just in your mind, rehearse this. Uh, when you have a challenge you face, what, what's your initial response? Okay, and, and it's rhetorical. I, I just want you to process this to start off. Okay, and, and of course, you know, I, I know myself very well. Okay, I, I obviously answer that one. Okay, I, I tend to drop my head. Okay, I tend to go, you know, grab whatever the issue is and I go right at it, you know. But let, let's, let's take a step back and look at, look at the scripture here uh, of Nehemiah, you know, and let's call it Kislev to Nisan. Okay, so in verse one, uh, in chapter one, verse one, you know, um, they talk about that season of Kislev and then they talk about that season of Nisan. Okay, that's a four month waiting period. So Nehemiah was introduced to the problem, okay? He wept about it. He prayed about it. He fasted about it. And it brings us to where we're at today in chapter two, where he had four months of waiting, okay? So for me personally, again, when I have a tendency to charge ahead, okay, I, I'm reminded very clearly, and we have a lot of leaders, okay, in the Bible, you know, that you know, have different examples of how long they waited, okay? And I think that's very important because we're going to see what that means scripturally and, and, and how that affected what Nehemiah did. But, but again, I think that is my initial response. So think to yourself, you know, what's your, what's your, what's your response, okay? And I don't think there's any right or wrong answer, to be honest with you. You know, I think God has created people um, to all respond differently. So, you know, I always take it very simple. You know, one, one time I was disciplining one of my kids and it might've been my daughter and she started crying and I was accusing her of something and she started crying and just argued with me and said, this is how Jesus made me and I can't help it. Okay. So like when I charge ahead, that's how Jesus made me. I, you know, I can't help that. Um, but what we have to do as leaders, I believe, is we cannot surround ourselves with people who are exactly like us. You know, I do think we need people that can challenge us. And I think we have to be pretty thoughtful about personalities. Um, I, I've been really, I, I talk a lot. I'm aggressive. I've really been challenged by another person in leadership that has often, when we're sitting in a group of nine people, if somebody hasn't spoken after 45 minutes, you know, this person has actually said to me, Mike, be quiet. I want to hear what this person has to say. And, and I really... You know, I'm, I'm kind of humbled by it. You know, instead of saying, shut up, keep your mouth shut and listen to this person and we'll listen to somebody else. They've, they've taken me through that. And I think I've learned a lot just from that little subtle group dynamic. Okay, any thoughts with this initial quiz? Okay. And again, I think we see initially that the waiting created this urgency for Nehemiah to have prayer. Okay. Okay. So again, a couple of different thoughts. And I just, I wanted to throw this slide up just to give you some other, you know, some other typical responses. We're going to dig into the scripture. 
okay? But what I'd like to, to kind of just address here with this slide is simply that um, we, we need to make sure that we are prepared for that moment in time. You know, in this chapter, you're gonna see Nehemiah had his moment, okay? Um, and, and I do think that is, is so difficult. So for the four months of prayer and fasting, okay, Nehemiah not only prayed, but he planned, okay? And I think that, you know, again, you're going to see the big moment in time that he has, you know, to respond and, and how he did that. And I think, you know, for us, you know, uh, uh, praying is not an inactive process, okay? Um, it, it certainly is an active process, and it certainly involves, I believe, um, you know, a pen and a paper as well, you know? So I think that, you know, we, we, we pray, and I, I think we get lost in our thoughts, and, and, and I don't think there's any focus to it. Um, I think when you pray with a plan and it leads you to a plan, then I think it becomes organized. And, and then I also think you really understand and, and discern God's will more clearly, you know, just, just with two cents. So thinking about this, you know, Nehemiah, um, you're going to see some emotions again come out. Okay. And now if you have a palace protocol, if you will, okay, basically, as a cupbearer, you know, Stephanie, you say you're the cupbearer. When you approach the king, okay, with a certain set of emotions, like showing that you're sad, okay, in those times, you could be beheaded for that, okay? So there's a risk involved when we approach our supervisors, our leaders a certain way, okay? For me, it's arguing. You know, I got to be careful that um, my dander doesn't get up. Okay, uh, that, that I'm respectful of positions of people I work with. I tend to be sarcastic. Okay, I tend to be direct. And, and I, I always, I tend to say what other people think. And it's not a good thing, you know? And I think I have to be so guarded with those leaders that I work with um, because again, things just fly. In this case, it was sadness for Nehemiah. Okay, okay, there, there was a, a, a consequence to being sad if you were a cupbearer. The other thing I would say is in this situation, you're gonna see the queen was present, which is not really typical for any kind of public situation as, as this one in chapter two took place. Okay, you know, did it distract the king? I think we all know our wives have influence on us. In my job, my secretary has influence on me. Okay, women have influence. Okay, um, you know, women in men's lives and leadership, but also women in leaders, you know, I think their spouses have that influence. And I think we have to understand that, that it's not compartmentalized. It's not one person in leadership. So in this situation, that, that's going to present itself as well. Okay, so let's just jump into this right off, right off the get-go. So I'm reading from the uh, NIV, you know, and just... Let's just go almost line by line here to consider this, have some conversation and think about it. Pull out what you think stands out. So in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxus, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine, gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness in the heart. I was very much afraid. So for me, again, as I, I got into this, dug into it, you, you know, we're looking at 40 years of time that has passed. Okay. Um, you have to, you have to understand that the Lord uses it. I see nowhere in the scripture where it calls the king a godly man. You know, in fact, you know, I, I believe the king 
Um, it was no different than some of our secular leaders that are godless. Okay, so I, I do believe that that God works through secular godless men and women. Okay, um, that, that's all, that's all about God being sovereign. So I think we have to understand that um, you know that influence of a believer can can be secondary. You know, we we can experience God's moving on people that that you know don't have Him in their heart. So I think that's very important to take in as we look at this. So. Um, you know, it's very evident here as we get into this, that the emotions that are shown, um, he's sad, very clear. Okay. And for 40, or, I'm sorry, for four months. Okay. Nehemiah carried this burden and he never went to the king and showed this sadness. Okay. So for whatever reason on this day, you, you know, that sadness was observable. Okay. And, and I think that there's again, a couple of things that can happen when you, when, when the King says, why does your face look sad, even though you're not ill? Okay. We're at a crucial moment here now. Okay. And, and I think that we see that because the response is that, you know, Nehemiah was afraid. Okay. So I, I, I think that when we look at this, um, you know, he's authentic. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you, you don't know what to expect from, from a human leader. So, so we're at a crossroads here. Um, so it's kind of the introduction to, to, to what we're going to dig into, but I think it sets the stage. Any thoughts with this about, you know, how, how Nehemiah approaches this interaction? thought it was really interesting that he wasn't stoic like he was emotional and that was good and he it wasn't seeing it's not showing it that he's not trusting God by being emotional very good absolutely I think, and I think I think at some point too, your burden it, it, it's just an outpouring of his burden right I mean he he's carried this and at some point it's just going to bubble over Go ahead, Ray. I saw you coming. I, I was just, I, I was thinking about the relationship that Nehemiah has built and developed with King Artaxerxes, where, you know, there's a level of trust and there's a level of uh, uh, knowledge where the king knows Nehemiah, right? He knows what he's normally like. It's not, it's not, he noticed because something was different than what was normal. And so Nehemiah has been faithful uh, and, Sometimes I, it just reminds me that to earn influence with my boss, I have to show myself to be faithful uh, and trustworthy with the things that he gives me consistently. Right. There's a so he, he has relationship capital with with the king um, leading up to this moment because the king's noticed. A great point. And, I, and, you know, we think to ourselves, what's our purpose in relationships? OK, I think it's different with with, you know, almost every individual. It's it's. You know, I don't think I don't think it's a canned uh, process when we have interaction with with other people. I think so many times I try to win people to the Lord. You know, I try to introduce them to Jesus, which I think is something we have to do. But I also think God has other purposes for our interactions. And that primary purpose for for the king, you know, and Nehemiah, um, it, it might not be soul winning. You know, obviously it, it had it had some other 
uh, impact that had to take place. So I think that's what we have to look at. And I think you're right, Ray, he earned the right and, and the respect of the king. So no matter w- what that king is like, you know, if you work for a boss, okay, that, um, you, you know, you just can't stand or, or, or that boss that um, is driving you out of an organization, um, I think we have to get beyond that and understand that God has a reason that he has you in that place. And I think it's, you know, ultimately, as you serve people, you are going to develop better relationships. There's no doubt about it. Great points. Anything else? Like, I, yeah, I, wouldn't, I thought the key word there was wine when I was reading this, but you didn't highlight it. So I guess I'll move on from that point. But I did. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how the king, like as a leader, he actually kind of started it by asking, hey, why are you sad? And I think as a leader, sometimes I get very busy or we get busy that we, we kind of skip over the opportunities to really enter into someone's maybe emotional life or our personal life. And so I thought it was interesting that their relationship is strong enough, but he's asking, hey, what's, you know, what's going on? You're not, you're not yourself type of thing. So just a challenge, I think, to see how people around us are doing. Um, and it's not just about task at Chick-fil-A. We're trying to value results and relationships. And that's tough. It's tough to do both, but I thought that was interesting. And I just love the emotional side of it that Nehemiah put out that he was afraid. I think that's also just very transparent. Cause if I wrote my story, I would have skipped that and just put like, this is going well. I went to the King, you know, and I just love his transparency and how he writes this. Great point. And I think, you know, Brad, I'm glad you spoke that because you're, you're in a, you know, a, a food industry and, and, and everything's got to move at 100 miles an hour. So when do you actually have that opportunity? And I think you, you have to look at our, our own opportunities and leadership. We get consumed with pace, you know, and, and, and I think we do have to stop and, and, and be intentional about that for sure. Great point. And again, I love the, the comment you brought up. Of course, you're going to highlight something different than me. That's why I got a bunch of smart people in the room with me. Okay, so let's keep moving. Let's keep let's keep rolling here. Okay, so um, the next thing we're going to look at. Let's let's go right through the scripture. But I said to the king, "May the king live forever." Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are is buried in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me. What is it you want? Okay. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Okay. So for me again, okay, just a couple of things that stood out in this, in this section, if you will. Okay. He asked why, why should my face not look sad? Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Nehemiah was not a politician. Okay, he, he didn't answer. He had an opportunity here because if you look in the previous verse, you know, for me, it stood out that his last sentence was I was very much afraid. So his emotions right now is he's scared. Okay, he knows the potential of what could happen. So then he said to the king, okay, why should my face not look sad? Okay, well, you know, for me again, when we're faced with that critical juncture as we speak to our, our, our bosses or we speak in leadership, okay, there's a facade that comes out, okay, there's manipulation, there's politics, okay, there's, you know, there's rubbing shoulders with people that takes place that's not authentic, 
Okay, ne Nehemiah wasn't any of those things. Nehemiah spoke exactly what he was feeling, no matter what the consequence was going to be. So, so again, you know, why should my face not look sad? Um, I, I think we need to be people of conviction. You know, I don't think there needs to be emotion. So for me, I need to remove emotion in order to present conviction. You know, and I think that's what Nehemiah is doing here very clearly. The other thing that, that, you know, again, stood out to me again is here's the big statement. Okay. Because he responded in a manner that was, you know, very direct, very honest, very authentic. Okay. He got the next question. The king laid it out there. You know, after four months of praying and fasting and waiting. Okay. Now all of a sudden they're going to ask me what I want. Okay. Have you ever been put in that position where you've been asked that question and are you prepared to respond? You know, and I think that is, you know, we go back to how we introduced this from last week. When you talk about your why, you know, when you talk about what you are passionate about or where God is leading you or what people can pray for you about, when you're asked the question, what is your want? After so many months, you better be ready to answer it, you know, and I think for me, that's, that's a challenge because one, at, to Brad's point, I think it slows us down with the monotony of the day to day and helps us to be prayerful and thoughtful about what is, what is the sense of urgency that God puts on our heart, okay, um, we have to be compartmentalized. We have to know where God's leading us because we're going to get to that critical juncture when somebody asks us what we want. You know, you've got to be able to articulate. Um, so what's interesting too is, okay, we go back. Nehemiah is afraid. He's been authentic. Now he's asked the big million dollar question. What's the first thing he did? Praised him. Prayed, right? He prayed. Okay. So not sure what that looks like. I can't imagine the king really had the patience to, you know, hold on a minute. Just wait. You asked me this big question, and, and I know if I answer it wrong, you're going to take my head off. Okay? Just give me a minute to pray. Just one. Okay? I'm sure this looked like one of those missile prayers, okay, or something that was fired up. Okay? But I, I do believe that... Um, you know, again, this gives me a lot of pause, okay? At what point before something flies out of my mouth, you know, do, do I just ask God for maybe that one, you know, that one injecture, you know, hey, I'm going to say this, but please allow me to say it with the right terms, the right vocabulary, with the right tone, you know, whatever it may be in that moment of time, do we, do we pause, and I think that was something that stood out to me as well. Comments. What do you what do you think by this section? I I think about the question, what is it that you want? And I can think about the number of times in my life where I've not been able to answer that question for myself, right? Not that somebody else hasn't asked me, but if I'm in a season of discontent or uh you know, where I am burdened about something and I, I'm like, well, what do I want? And I don't know the answer to that. Then I need to keep waiting, right? I need to, I need to keep pausing and say, okay, I need to be able to answer this. And so 
And sometimes I think it's fine, right? And I think we get impatient with ourselves sometimes. It's like, well, what is it that I want? Or what is it that I'm really burdened about? And I think it's okay that it can take a while for God to kind of shape and refine that into, you know, into its pointy edge, so to speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something that you said sparked a, a thought. And I think Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. It's it's a challenge really to think about how you use your tongue and how you respond to, you know, if you ask the question, it, it as a leader, you need to think about, you know, on your feet, how you're going to respond, but you have to be ready as a leader to take the time. But it's, it's a challenge to think about how you, how you use your tongue and, and be able to answer people. Yeah, I was, uh, as I was looking at this section, um, and you were talking, it's, it's fascinating to see the four months of dedicated focused prayer that Nehemiah was engaging in yet in this moment he still pauses to pray and I think how often in my life that I might be praying for something for a season but then when an opportunity arises or as I'm going about my day-to-day life I often neglect to take that time to pause to stop and pray in that moment as well for wisdom, for grace, you know, whatever Nehemiah prayed for in this situation. I think it's very easy to just plow on through straight ahead. I'm like you, Mike, I'm just a, well, here's a problem. Let's just get it done then um, kind of person. And so to see this, you know, pause, and it probably was only a few seconds, right? It's not a as you said, it's not a, he's down on his knees now and praying for 30 minutes before he answers the question. This is something that happens very quickly, but often that's the kind of prayer that I neglect. And so I think, you know, for each of us, as we think about, you know, leading, being tied to prayer, it's important for us to recognize our own shortcomings in that area and seek to, to improve, um, you know, in whatever, in whatever shortcomings we see in ourselves, in our prayer lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let me, let me keep rolling here. That's good. Good feedback for sure. So let me just go to the next section here. And again, keep digging through. Okay. So in verse five, it said, I answered the King. Okay. If it pleases the King, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the King with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Okay, again, um, very clear, okay? And and, and the king is going to ask these answers. I'm sure the king had had also um, his, his own agenda, Okay, he's got this cupbearer, you know, remember, you know, the king previous to this one, you know, died because the the cupbearer poisoned him. Okay, so you get the wrong person for the job. Okay, it's going to cost you your life. So I got to believe, you know, that that 
you know, there, there's some, there's some personal interest in this for the king because he sees this burden. I think it was observable. I think the king probably, whether he would agree, would, would, would uh, admit it or not, probably knew that he wasn't going to stop this burden. You know, it's like anything else. When you're a leader, you cannot prevent people in your organization from following their passion. You know, I think the minute you start doing that as a leader, um, I, I think people leave, you know, you lose good people. So I think that you have to, this king obviously knew he wasn't going to get in the way of this. So then he's asking these questions um, more specifically from Nehemiah and, and, and just the, his ability to articulate exactly what he wants. And we're going to see this, you know, even through the rest of the passage, okay, that it, it's unbelievable to me in, in this simple exchange how detailed, okay, the responses were. And, and I just wonder too, are our conversations artificial in leadership? You know, like, like to me, it really bothers me when we waste time in our organization, right? We're talking in circles, you know? So when people don't come to the table prepared, for me, it becomes frustrating because I think this is what should happen. You know, let's not schedule a meeting unless it's a profitable one. Okay. I think people's time is valuable. So in this case, Nehemiah knew that he had the attention of the king and he wanted to be prepared to present the king exactly what he wanted. Any thoughts with this initially? It's fascinating that it says it pleased the king to send me. And I know we've talked a, a lot this morning already about the relationship that Nehemiah had with the king. And I think, you know, obviously this is a two-way street where Nehemiah is a leader. The king is obviously a leader as well. But it's interesting how we can see both um, sides of their interaction, right? Um, sometimes we're the king in certain situations, sometimes we're Nehemiah, but it strikes me that it pleased the king to send Nehemiah, that he, he heard what Nehemiah was saying, he felt Nehemiah's burden, and he said, you know what, you run with that, and, and he, he found pleasure in seeing someone that was working under him pursue their, their burden, their passion. He saw value in that. And so I think it's important for us, you know, whichever side we find ourselves in, in a given situation, if, you know, someone who is under us comes to us with an idea, comes to us with a burden, will they find support or will we just shoot it down? Good comment for sure. And, and, and again, we're going to see this in the next passage as well. There's still that reverence in every statement that's made. Okay, reverence to God, but then reverence to authority. And, and I think over and over and over again, we're going to see that. And, and I think if we don't bring that to the table as believers, I don't, I don't think anything's going to become profitable. Okay, and again, Matt, you see how verse seven starts off. It's funny you, you say that because it's almost a redundant statement again. I also said to him, let me start my statement out. If it pleases the king, May I have letters to the governors of, of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe uh, conduct until I arrive in Judah. 
And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me the timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. You know, so I, I think as we look at this again, we're becoming more specific, you know, with um, what exactly we need to accomplish what God has put on our heart. So I, I thought it was very interesting. You know, we know we have to pray. Okay. We learned about that in the four months. And then we learned about that in the emergency prayer that went up right as the King asked the big question. Okay. So we know we've got to pray, but we also have to plan. So as you look at, you know, Andy Stanley brought this up and you look at what had to be done. Okay. Um, there had to be a process here. So do you think that Nehemiah articulated this in his own mind? Okay. Okay. I'm praying for four months and, you know, let me start putting on paper what I'm going to say if asked. Okay. I, I kind of envision this like, you, you know, maybe I had my first meeting with a group of administrators. You know, there's a lot of times, like I throw a lot of grenades in my job. Okay. Like I'll walk into a meeting and there's something on my mind and I'm like, let's do this. And then I push hard. Okay. And then everybody throws the grenade right back at me. It's like you pull the pin out and you throw the grenade and they just give it right back to me. So it blows up my hands, you know? And, and I think for me, I need to do a better job constantly of, of articulating what are the steps and how would I do it when I'm challenged to do that? You know, if that burden keeps coming back to you, you need to sit down and start writing out a plan. You know, you need to start understanding, you know, okay, if, if, if like in one, one season of my life, I want to be a head football coach. Okay. So if you want to be a head football coach, you, you better know what kind of offense you're going to run. You better know what kind of defense you're going to run and you better learn it. Okay. Now you, you start doing those things before you actually get that responsibility. You know, when I interview somebody for a leadership position and they don't come in with some type of plan that they're going to do in the first six months, that just tells me they haven't even been thoughtful about this, you know? And I think to myself, this, this is what Nehemiah did was, um, you know, he articulated, and even when you don't even know what's in front of you, I think that in your own mind, you're going to approach something brand new. You better have some ideas of the steps that you're going to take. Okay. Now, for me, this is kind of overwhelming because it's way more specific than I can ever imagine. You know, like, like I can't imagine getting that specific when I get this, this kind of big question. Um, but it just, it just shows that um, this, this was going to happen. What are your thoughts with the planning that took place in, in, in the end of this, this chapter, you know, as, as we move on? I think I think about um, the difference between a leader and somebody that's just a, a just a critic, right? Somebody that just comes in and criticizes. As a leader begins to think through, okay, I've identified a problem. How do we solve it? Rather than just say, "Hey, this is a problem. You go figure it out." Um, and I think as as leaders, it's on us to help cultivate and develop okay if we see something that needs to be fixed how do we fix it uh, 
I think that distinguishes somebody that's a leader versus somebody who's just a critic. And it's a great, it's a great comment, right? So I think to myself, I've been in the same organization for 17 years. Okay. And, and some of the same comments get old. You know what I mean? Like I get tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. And, and I think at what point do we do something about it? You know, and, and I think I've been in situations in my, my current organization where I've heard people gripe about something for 10 years and everybody's in agreement that something needs to be done, but nobody's doing anything. And it drives me insane. I've been in the same church at Mount Calvary, you know, for 25 years. Okay. And I've heard, I've been on the same committee sometimes over and over again, and it drives me insane. And, and I think, um, again, it's God telling me to wait. Right. Okay. But at the same token, I believe we're all gifted in different areas. And, and my, you know, if there's any gift or curse at the same time, it, it's, I believe, you know, my, my role is to push, you know, and, and, and to impact change. And um, I need that person to come alongside of me to slow me down, to, to, to keep me accountable, to pray, um, you know, to step back, to take a secondary role because I'm always pushing. And I think this is, Nehemiah is a great example for me because I, I would never, you know, I'm a whole part, whole guy, right? So like, like, you know, Joe coached with me and I believe when you introduce an offense, you throw everything at everyone and then you go back and you tear it apart and you get back to the hole. You know, I never really have an idea of what the plan is. You know, during COVID, my saying was building the airplane while it's flying, right? And I think that, that makes a lot of people nervous, you know, and I love the saying, quite frankly, because, you know, that, that's, that's all about me. Whenever I make a plan, it's like 80% complete. I rely on somebody else to do the other 20% or the other 10%. And that makes a lot of people nervous. But I, I think my job is to get the plane off the ground. Somebody else has got to figure out how to make it fly right. And, and I think in leadership, we all have our roles. Any thoughts? Yeah, I was kind of reading over it, Mike, and I feel like there wasn't, in chapter one, it didn't say that Nehemiah was praying for God to move the, the heart of King Artaxerxes at all. It, you know, it was in more in reverence and asking God to act upon his, his promises. So, like, I wonder if in that moment I was thinking, you know, when the king's like, hey, what do you want? Or why are you sad? And Nehemiah stopped to pray. Was it like, did Nehemiah know, like we, we see this playing out. So we're like, Oh, obviously you're a cupbearer. You have all the resources you need. It's so obvious what you're supposed to do. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was, or wasn't, I think reading over these specific steps that you have, I think Nehemiah did have it planned out and he was planning for the right moment. Cause I don't think I come up with that kind of a plan off the top of my hat going, God just opened up an unexpected opportunity. The King is asking me what I want. So I think he did was praying for that. And I think that's why he has that signature line of, you know, before I was the cup, the King's cupbearer, I think it, he's showing like setting up like the chapter two of like, and this is how God's playing it out. I was a cupbearer and he opened the door and like, he just keeps, you know, giving praise to God of, you know, this was by God's hand. And so I think it's just amazing. I think, I think it's just easy to assume that Nehemiah, it was like, oh, it's so obvious. You're the cupbearer. But maybe it wasn't so obvious to him. Maybe he was praying for God to open up any opportunity to rebuild the wall. 
but God opened that door with King, his relationship there. So it's something I thought about. I was reading over it. Awesome. Thanks. I like your steps and you get to step five and it would be, you know, get out of the room and you're like cheering, celebrating, seeing all that God had brought together. You know, he's, he was so patient and you go to go back to the passage and look at verse, verse 12, you know, as he's journeying down to Jerusalem, he, he was tight lipped about what was going on and what, and what, what stuck out to me in verse 12 was, um, he says, and I told no one, I told no one what God had put on into my heart. You know, it was, this was, this was God ordained. This plan was not by chance. It was something that, you know, (laughs) and it would have been hard to contain yourself, you know, like, but, but if, but if you had gone through what he had gone through and, and got all of the permissions to do everything, it would be like, you'd want to be telling everybody about it. Come on, let's, let's get going. But, you know, he had a, a, a measure of patience in, in the midst of that and knew that he had to now rally the troops, but God had given him a plan. So it wasn't, <laughs> it, you know, he was, he was flying the airplane at the time, but, you know, he also, was able to control himself in the midst of it, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny, Stefan, as you're talking, Andy Stanley wrote this one line that's resonated with me this week. He said, success has a way of weaning us off our dependency on God. So yes, what did he do when that happened? Did he go away and yell and cheer and say, yes, you know, I'm getting what I I thought was going to happen. We got to be careful with success it can go two different directions right we can we can praise god for it but we can also you know lose our dependency and 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 think it's it's more about me than him you know and i think it's it's a double-edged sword for sure so let me just finish through the rest of this and you know uh, try and get us to a closing point here so that the last part of this talks about um so i went to the governor's trans-Euphrates and and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent the army officers and cavalry with me. So in verse 10, we start to see about some of the opposition that's going to be introduced. Okay, so when Sanballat, uh, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So just want to introduce these two as we close. We'll hear more about this. Okay, but basically... Um, Sam Ballot was living about 12 miles from Jerusalem, okay, and that was the chief enemy for Nehemiah, okay, and Tobiah was actually related to people that would work for Nehemiah building the wall, you know, so I would relate Tobiah as one of those people that, that kind of are like within your organization, but are cancerous, you know, there's always people around us that, that, are, are going to be, you know, the antithesis of what we want to try to do. And that was Tobiah. So Tobiah was kind of like, you know, I read a, a, a passage that talked to uh, Tobiah about being like the director of intelligence for Sam Ballot. Okay. So, you, you know, I think that's what we're leading to is starting to understand that even while things are going and we're recruiting people, there are going to be people around us and within us that are going to be, um, a problem for us. Okay, so we're starting to get introduced to that uh, as we finish our reading here. Okay, 
couple of final points I just, just want to make as, as I get to the end here and tie it all together. Okay. You know, first thing, and again, going back to my buddy, Andy Stanley talks about God's using our circumstances just to position us, you know, so that's, that's one of those takeaways that, that we want to look at. There's always going to be obstacles. Okay. There's always going to be a lack of resources. So if you're waiting for, you know, the right resources, if you're waiting for the obstacles to be out of the way, I'm not sure that's going to happen, you know, completely. It's going to be there. You're going to have, we're going to be introduced to people that are going to be um, naysayers. I was just in a meeting the other night and I've always been on boards where everybody had to be in consensus, right? we got to have consensus on everything, right, Ryan? I mean, it's like, heaven forbid, we disagree with one another. I think it's okay, you know, not to have consensus, but to have cooperation, Right. So I, I really am, believe it or not, I, I'm, I'm OK leaving a meeting myself when I don't get my way. OK, because I believe there's got to be cooperation. But I, I do believe in disagreement. And I think as part of this, when we look at visions or we're looking at burdens that come in front of us, OK, it's not going to be without conflict. It's not going to be without disruption. It's not going to be without disagreement. And I think that's a hard part for believers to get to. You know, when you take a vote, it's not going to be 100%, okay? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's where we have to position ourselves in leadership, okay? The next thing I think we have to take a look at as well is that God um, very clearly, okay, I, I think will orchestrate what he originates, okay? You know, again, I took a passage from Luke that's, that, you know, that's, you know, everybody understands this, that, you, you know, again, um, things happen that we just do not expect or would predict. And I think we have to be prepared for them. If, if the Lord is challenging us with something, sometimes the how really doesn't matter. It's just the what, you know, and I think that we have to be in belief that God is sovereign. Okay. And, and, you know, again, politics is a good example. You know, we, we want to be able to explain everything. We want to be able to argue everything. And that's just not really how God operates, okay? Uh, he's sovereign. It's going to work. We just, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we just need to read about what took place and, and be in awe of what, how, how that happened, you know? So I think that's another point that I, I just draw from this a little bit. Okay. I kind of rushed through these last couple of slides. I apologize, but I do want to get everybody out of here by 30 because we know we got a good day ahead of us. So, so here's some, some closing thoughts. And again, I spoke to this and Steph and you were, you brought this up, you know, success has a way of weaning us off dependency of God. We got to be careful. Okay. Nehemiah had his moment. Okay. He did what he, he should have done with his moment, but then there's also a process afterwards. You know, we don't want to bask in glory. And, and I think that while we want to praise the Lord, okay, we don't want to praise the person, you know, and I think that's very important as we go through this. So a couple of things I want you to do as we go, you know, into next week, we are going to get into the end of this chapter and into Nehemiah 3. So if you could preview that and you could, you know, get yourself prepared to have that discussion, uh, read a commentary that goes alongside of it, watch a YouTube video, uh, do whatever you need to do to get yourself right with the discussion for next week. Because again, there's going to be some weeks I don't come prepared to teach. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't come prepared, we're going to be in trouble. 
I want you to think of this. This is something that stood out to me, and I'll use Ryan's uh, father-in-law as an example. Jerry Moore is a good example for me on this one, okay? When I taught a parenting class um, a couple of, uh, like a, two years ago, I developed like a spiritual counsel, okay? I, I, I had 10 men that I emailed a question to every week for 10 weeks, and I wanted them to respond to it. And those men were like, you know, grandpas, you know, people who had raised kids, you know, so for me, it was like, I'm going to teach on parenting and I'm not done really, you know, this initial phase of parenting just yet. I got some kids still that, you know, are, are less than 20. Okay. So I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't through, you know, my proverbial uh, gauntlet yet. So I, I had these 10 guys respond to me and, and Jerry Moore stood out to me. So when I think of this question in number three, you know, it was brought up in one of my commentaries. I really believe in this. You want to think of somebody, okay, who you know has been a Christian for like 15 years. You know, I don't know why we picked 15. It was probably random, but it feels like a good number. Okay. They've had success in their chosen field. You know, Ryan's father-in-law was an insulator. Okay. Then started his own company. Okay. And has a good company and it's grown. Okay. And, and he obviously does well in his profession, okay? So I, I know he's been a Christian for 15 years. I know he's been, you know, profitable in his chosen field, okay? I think you need to initiate conversations with these people and almost interview them. So like in, in one of the commentaries I had, you know, some of the questions you can ask, you know, um, when you started out, how was God leading you? Okay. Did you ever feel that God abandoned you as you were pursuing your vision? Okay. What was the most faith stretching experience you had while pursuing, you know, where you're at currently? As you began to experience rewards and success, did it ever get to your head? You know, and, and I think there's more questions we can ask and we can be thoughtful about that. But I, what I'd love you to see, do is interview somebody. You know, have a conversation with that person and be able to articulate who that person is this week. You know, I, I think that's important because it doesn't have to be in your chosen field. You know, I'm in education, so obviously I'm drawn to an educator. Okay, but I do believe we have to be drawn to people of leadership in all, all areas. Okay. Any final thoughts before we kind of close? Okay. Um, what, what I would say is, is again, you know, each one of you are appreciated. I think I talked to some, some of you during the week and, you know, draw a lot of feedback and wisdom as we move forward. I think it's going to be a nice journey. By the time we're done this, I feel like we're going to have a nice deep view of Nehemiah and, 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 a, and a fantastic leadership example. Um, so again, I challenge you to keep kind of moving forward. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of the tasks that we're going to kind of commission ourselves to do just so I can hear some of your feedback. Any comments? Okay, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this group of people. Um, just just really deep, Lord, and, and, and thoughtful and uh, challenging for me personally. Um, I give you praise for that, Lord, of bringing these people together in one space. Uh, help us not to take your word lightly. 
Um, you know, Lord, we are commissioned to do something, whether it's read a passage or to, to consider something, reflect on it and pray on it. Help us to do that with the, the, the zeal that Nehemiah had. Um, it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, folks. Same time next week. Let's go. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. See you.